Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, we continue getting ready for our missions conference with Pastor's message, Disobedience is Not an Option. In our passage this morning that uh, Travis uh, read from Acts chapter 26, what's really neat is in verse number 19, if you look down with me in verse number 19, just to remind us, Paul declares to King Agrippa, uh, he says, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. And in this whole passage of scripture, Paul is given the opportunity to defend himself, to, to stand up and give an answer uh, before King Agrippa. And, uh, and so we kind of ask ourselves, like, you see this courtroom experience, if you please, and we ask ourselves, what's taking place? What is he talking about when he says, I was not disobedient? To the heavenly vision. Well, when we consider the transformation that actually took place in, in his life when he was known as Saul, uh, it's simply incredible to see how the Lord worked in his life. You, you remember Paul, he goes from the one who consented unto the death of, of Christians, of those that uh, had placed their faith in Christ. He goes from the one who consents to the death of those to the one who continually, continually preaches the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere he went. Now, if you have your hand at Acts 26, flip back over a couple of pages to Acts chapter 9. Because what we see is uh, some incredible things when, when Paul encounters uh, Jesus. We see that he has this heavenly vision there in Acts chapter 9. And if you go back to Acts chapter 9... You know that he's got permission to go to Damascus and he's on his way to, uh, to condemn other Christians. He's actually uh, making a beeline for this city and he's going to condemn all those that, are, that come into his path uh, and are, 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 are Christ followers, if you please. Look at verse number 3. Verse number 3 tells us that uh, suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. Verse number 4 of this passage tells us that immediately Saul falls to the earth. And then if you jump down to verse number 8, it says, After the Lord has finished speaking to him, Saul uh, rises back to his feet. He opens his eyes. And here's what we see, is that he can no longer see physically, but in that moment when he fell to the earth, when the light shone around him, he loses his physical sight, but he gains a 20-20 perspective, spiritually speaking. See, he goes from one who knew a lot about God to one who knew God. See, it's one thing to have a lot of knowledge, uh, to be educated and to, and to be smart spiritually speaking, but it's a whole different uh, uh, thing. It's a, it, we get a whole different perspective when we actually have spiritual goggles on. And so what we know is in the midst of this conversion, I can only imagine Saul as he hits the ground that he has a multifaceted vision. From God. Now remember, Acts 26 says, hey, uh, where on, O uh, King Agrippa? I wasn't disobedient to that heavenly vision. Well, what's he talking about, this heavenly vision? Well, when he falls down to the earth, I'm guessing that Saul, he had a vision of himself. A vision of himself in his current spiritual condition. Isn't that what happens when each and every one of us place our faith in Christ? If you have ever trusted Christ as your Savior, you had to have a moment when you realized, I'm undone. I got a problem, and I can't fix the problem. We're all about fixing our own problems. I try to fix my problems sometimes, and my wife says, you can't do it. And I say, oh, yes, I can. I, I, I'm a man, you know. 
And she says, I'm a woman, hear me roar, you cannot do it. You know, it's like one of those things, like, I want to fix it, I can fix it. No, I got a great set of tools, I got a hammer and duct tape, I can fix it. Isn't that how we do everything? I imagine when Saul hits the dirt and his face is in the dirt, I'm guessing he has an epiphany, if you please, this spiritual vision from heaven that says, hey, brother, you may be well-educated, and if you know Paul, if anybody had uh, room to tout his credentials, it was the Apostle Paul. I mean, after all, when we think of Paul, he's a well-educated man. In fact, he actually gives us testimony in Philippians chapter 3 that not only is he well-educated, he tells us that he was circumcised on the eighth day. He's of the stock of Israel. He goes on and tells us that he's of the tribe of Benjamin. He goes on and he tells us that he's a Hebrew of Hebrew, a Pharisee of Pharisees, blameless, he says. I'm blameless according to the law. But in that moment in Acts chapter 9, when he falls on his face, he says, whoa, I got a problem. And that happens with each and every one of us. If you've ever trusted Christ, if you're sitting here and you're under some kind of fancy notion that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you never had that moment when you realized that you were a sinner undone and on your way to a devil's hell, then you never had that, uh, that, that, that relationship begin with Christ. See, because you can know a lot about God and have your physical sight, but as we see in Paul, Paul's case, when he fell to the earth, he lost his spirit, his physical sight temporarily. But in that moment, in that incredible moment in his life, that heavenly vision from heaven comes in and he starts to see 2020, spiritually speaking. In some measure, I was telling Travis and others, in some measure, I think Paul had this idea that I'm all that in a bag of chips. I got it all together. You know, I know a lot about God. I've studied his word. I know these things uh, uh, from the law. And I am a Pharisee and I'm blameless according to the law. But in that moment, he would have had to have a recollection that says, I'm just a sinner in need of God's amazing grace. Oh, I guess he had a heavenly vision, all right, when he hit the dirt. And he saw himself in his current spiritual condition. I'm guessing he had a vision of his new separation. You see, because in that moment when he's on his face, he had to understand that it was God's power, as the psalmist says, it was God's power that had picked him up out of the, the horrible pit, out of the miry clay. It was God's power that had set his feet upon the rock of Jesus Christ. It was God's power that was going to send him on his way and establish his going from henceforth. And so, see, he had to understand his spiritual condition. He had to understand uh, his life, his new separation, if you please. I'm thinking as he's laying there, and he's like, hey, uh, Lord? He's like, because if you look at Acts chapter 9, the Bible says in verse 4, it fell to the earth and heard a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. This is the exact same testimony that Travis read earlier that he gave in Acts chapter 26. And then verse 6 of Acts 9 says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? See, in that moment, Paul, Saul at that point, knows there's a job to do. He says, what do you want me to do? And so I'm guessing that even though his transformation was immediate and radical... I imagine that maybe Saul, he had a vision of his new call to serve. You see, in fact, as I just read, the Lord tells him in verse number 6, if you keep on reading, he says, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. 
in a sense, what Jesus was saying to the Apostle Paul was, listen, bub, I didn't save your life. I'm not transforming your life so that you can go and sit on the sidelines, so to speak. I did this so that you can get up and do something. I've got a job for you. And guess what? Just like he had a job for Saul of old, he's got a job for Greg. He's got a job for my wife. He's got a job for my boys. And if I'm not teaching my children about the job that God's got for them, shame on me as a dad. Shame on my wife as a mother. Oh, we've got a job to do, each and every one of us. And guys, you may be sitting here looking at me this morning, and this, this message may have already rubbed your fur the wrong way. It's like I always say, just turn the cat around. If it's rubbing your fur the wrong way, turn the cat around because, see, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's all about Jesus. That's exactly what took place in Saul's life. He had a vision of his current spiritual condition, his separation of his new call to service, but he also, I believe, he had a vision of his new Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? And when I trusted Christ as my Savior at the age of 13, I had a new realization that I had a friend in Jesus. He was a friend that would never leave me nor forsake me. He was a friend that would stick closer than a brother. As Travis read earlier in Acts chapter 26, while testifying to King Agrippa, Paul talks about his conversion. And he tells King Agrippa all these things that he's supposed to do. Look at verse 15 of our text. In verse 15 of Acts 26, notice what the Bible says. And this is Paul, he's giving testimony. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet. He says, first of all, he says, Get up, stand to your feet, because I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. He says, There's a purpose why I've come into your life. He says, Here's the purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, boast of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. He says, Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, and here's a purpose, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. Not by works, but sanctified by faith. That is in me. In verse 19 we keep reading. Paul says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus. What does this tell us? This tells us that immediately, and if you go back to chapter 9 of Acts, it says Paul's response was immediate. He immediately starts preaching the good news of the gospel to the people he was going, to the city he was going to rather, to find those that, can, that were Christians. And so he joins in the party, so to speak. He starts preaching the good news. And then he says, But first showed unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God. And notice what he says. And do works meet for repentance. Now, before you, before you think that it's saying something it isn't, what he's saying here is that they would do works consistent with their new relationship in Jesus Christ after they repent, that they would start living their lives in a way that is consistent with that one who is saved. Yes, Paul was saying, he says, King, I'm standing here right before you now in defense of the things I have done and continue to do so that the truth of God's word might be proclaimed and lived out in my life. This is my job. You see, the revelation of God's word had changed Paul's life. And he tells King Agrippa and he tells Festus and the others that are listening 
He says, it's not only my desire that it changed my life, but that this message would change your life as well. And if you read Acts 26, you know Festus, <laughs> Festus tells him, you're a madman. You're speaking as a crazy man right now. But what we do know is verse number 27 and following. Look at what the Bible says. King Agrippa, this is Paul, he says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Why does he say that? He says, because he knows that Agrippa already believes because he tells him in a verse right before it, he says, all these things about Jesus were not done in a corner. These things are not hid from anybody. Everybody knows that Jesus uh, Christ is the Son of God. Everybody knows that he died on the cross, suffering the same. He, he basically is telling Agrippa, you already know this stuff. He says, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa says to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. How incredible is that and how incredibly sad is that? Agrippa says, you, by the fact that you're willing to suffer, you, by the fact that you are willing to go to the uttermost part of the world to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you, because of your own personal story, almost persuadest me to be a Christian. What he was saying was, remember last week we broke down the word convert and disciple. He says, you almost, you almost persuaded me to be a follower of Christ. Not just a convert, but a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ based on your testimony. Wow. Notice what Paul says in verse 29. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. Now, if you'll flip over to Proverbs 29, 18. Proverbs 29, 18, a very familiar verse of Scripture, one that has been misused and abused down through the ages. This is Solomon. He's teaching his son, if you know, and God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is using Solomon to convey a message not only to his son then, but to you and I today. And the Bible says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law... Happy is he. Now look at the verse again. I want us to look at a couple of words. The Bible says where there is no vision. That word vision means revelation from God, i.e. God's word. It is not meaning some type of church leadership strategy, some strategy for the future, some building program uh, or otherwise. It means where there is no revelation, where there's no illustration, where there is no word of God, the people perish. But what we need to also understand is not only what the word vision means, we need to understand what the word perish means. Because our first assumption is that people die. It's like, where there's no vision, the people perish. What do you mean? If, if I don't have 20-20 eyesight, I'm going to die? You see, we have to understand what's being said in God's word. This word perish actually means to cast off restraint. So here's the point. Where there is no revelation from God, no, no, no word of God, the people perish, they cast off restraint. So what does that mean? It means when they're not living their lives according to God's word or, or what God says that we as a people or any people will cast off restraint and they'll actually begin to live their life according to their own thoughts and their own ways and their own methods. That's why Solomon continues the verse. Please continue the verse. He says, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Jesus had not given his life yet for the sins of mankind. 
And so they were still trying to adhere to the 613 laws that no man could keep, even though Paul says he was blameless of the law. Are you kidding me? He needed a Savior just like you and I. Listen, this verse simply reminds you and I that where there is no message, no instruction, no revelation from God, that people will no doubt die spiritually speaking. So when we connect the dots, we connect the dots from Paul's testimony. I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. You see, in Paul's life, that heavenly vision became a reality when Jesus Christ himself, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When that Word spoke to Paul, that Word became a reality in his life. His life was changed. And in that story and in this, and in this verse, we can see the importance of missions all around the world. Guys, the thing that changed Paul's life is the same thing that changed my life. And it's the same thing that will change your life. And his name is Jesus. And that's what will change the lives of others. That's why we've got all the banners. That's why we've got all the styrofoam letters. Thank you, Len Wilkowski, for making those. We've got it all painted and put up and decorated. And that's all great and well and good. But those banners and those foam letters will do nothing to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week, if you were here, I shared that if we were going to reach the world one by one, O-N-E by O-N-E, one, each one reaching one, that you and I were going to need to have a holy dissatisfaction with the status quo. We were going to have to have a holy dissatisfaction. Let me ask a question without anybody answering, because you're going to answer in your own heart, whether you were to raise your hand or speak out or cry out, whatever. Anybody in here got family members that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? I'm guessing we do. Anybody have any friends that still need the Lord Jesus Christ to come into their life and to change them from the inside out? Anybody have any co-workers that still don't know Jesus? Anybody running anybody in the marketplace that still doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? You say, why are you having missions revival? Because people are still lost. People still need Jesus. We've got the message of hope. And truth, listen, dis disobedience to the Great Commission cannot be a thought. It cannot be a thought, much less an option for us as Christians. I was texting with a pastor this morning down in Mississippi. He and I pray for one another every week. Every week over the past year, we have texted one another. He's a, he's a little my senior, uh, a little more mature than I am as far as the age calendar goes. And... Uh, we text one another and pray for one another, and I shared with him what I was doing. And this morning, how incredible is it that this morning his church is taking up their faith promise commitment? Oh, I ask you to say a little prayer for the Heritage Baptist Church in Byram, Mississippi this morning, that God might be honored and glorified through their time as well. Listen, just as Paul recognized and responded to the heavenly vision in his life, we too must do the same. If we know that it's the revelation from God, His Word is what's going to make the difference. If it's His Word that's going to, to, to instruct and guide and teach people, then we must have vision in our lives. We must operate according to the heavenly vision that God has given for us. And so if you're a note taker, I just, two thoughts. One, we need to have a vision of and for lost souls. 
We need to have a vision of and for lost souls. We're talking about missions. And if we know that we have the truth in our hands to set humankind free, as Jesus tells us in John chapter 8 and other passages from his word, which we do, then our concerns and our convictions must be followed up with actions. I think about the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 16. And guys, if you'll throw up verse number 9. Verse number 9 and uh, 10, in Acts chapter 16, Paul's given a vision of and for souls. Now, he was already out trying to reach souls. And if you remember the passage, he in his mind is a saying that he's going to go up to Bithynia. He says, I'm going to go this way. And God says, no, you're not. You're going to go this way. And notice, here's the passage. It tells us about it. In verse number 9 of Acts 16, And a vision appeared unto Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia. And prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go to Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Notice in verse number uh, 10, after he had seen the vision, notice Paul's response time. What does it say? Immediately. His response time was immediate. How's our response time? Have you ever been in a drive-thru and felt the Holy Spirit of God saying, man, say something to this worker. Say something to this person who just handed you your, your burger and fries or your, your, your burrito and, and drink. Hand some, say something to this person about the Lord. Hand them a track. Pray for them. Tell them that you're going to pray for them. Help them, you know, do something to encourage them. And have you ever felt the Holy Spirit tell you to do that? And then what do we do? We just... Drive on out of the drive through See, the Apostle Paul had this vision from God. to get over to Macedonia and preach the gospel. And his response time was immediate. Our response must be immediate as well. Listen, if we see... I'm talking about this 2020 vision, really, that Paul had. If we see through our spiritual goggles, just as Jesus sees, then there's no doubt... There's no doubt in my military mind that you and I are going to have a vision of and for lost souls. I think about our Lord and Savior in Matthew chapter 9. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Our Lord and Savior in Matthew chapter 9. The Bible says here, let me flip over. In Matthew chapter 9. In verse number 35, look at verse number 35 and following. The Bible says, And when Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Why? Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. See, what do you see when you look at these faces all around us? What do you see when you look at the faces on the banner? What do you see when you look at the faces hanging out? Do you, do you see people from other cultures and say, Well, that, that's their problem. Do you, do you, what do you see? I remember years ago we did a missions display. We were uh, fortunate to be leading the young marriage class at that time. And we did one of our missions displays. And our title was simply, Can You See What Jesus Sees? 
And I remember uh, Dave Wolfrey. I asked Dave Wolfrey if he would paint a, a picture, and Dave didn't want to do it. He, some of you guys remember. And I said, Dave, will you paint a picture? I said, you know, what everybody thinks of when they think of the face of Jesus. And so this guy painted an eight-foot by eight-foot painting of the face of Jesus. And everywhere you went in the gymnasium that year, everywhere you went, you would look back and Jesus was looking at you. You could go down here and his eyes were on you. Everywhere you went in the gymnasium, why? Because Jesus sees you. Jesus sees me. Jesus sees these people who are represented by these banners and these posters here because Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes. Oh, listen, he was concerned with the eternal destination of their soul. Look back at verse 36. Verse 36 says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad. Notice this phrase, as sheep having no shepherd. Again, when I think about this, sheep having no shepherd, I think about the verse from Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. They're as sheep without a shepherd. Oh, when was the last time? Just think about this for a second. When was the last time you were a part of, or maybe you walked up on a group of people in your neighborhood, your workplace, the marketplace, where people were talking about missionary service or work. When was the last time that happened? When was the last time you, you were in those things and you walked up on a group of people and they were talking about praying for someone who needed to hear the gospel? When was the last time you walked up on a group or you were a part of a group that were talking about their own personal need for repentance and spiritual revival? Or maybe you walked up on a group or maybe you were leading a group who was gathered together and you were praising the Lord for the souls that had been saved recently in your local New Testament church or all around the world. Or maybe they were praising the Lord for the souls that had been saved and been baptized. Maybe they were simply praising the Lord in public for how he had worked in their life recently. By the faces I'm looking at, I'm guessing this scenario probably hasn't happened in your life recently. Which is another great reminder and a huge indication as to why I and every one of us need to be begging God to break our hearts for the hearts and the souls of others. May God give us a vision of and for lost souls. It was said of David Livingston, that great missionary to Africa, the man who lived, walked, braved, fought off disease after disease, and served the people of Africa. It was said of David Livingston that he literally loved people so much, that he loved people to God so much, that thousands and thousands of people came to Christ throughout his ministry. It was also reported that the missionary David Livingston was known for praying a simple prayer. Oh God, give me Africa for your honor and for your glory. Oh God, give me Africa for your honor and glory. Well, if you know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, at the end of it all, after David Livingston had died, he was found in his pup tent in Africa in this position. He was found kneeling, kneeling by his cot, hunched over his cot, as if he had been in prayer, still praying that prayer. Oh God, give me Africa for your honor and glory. And if you also know 
David Livingston's heart. He said, you can bury my body over here in London and Europe. You can bury my body there, but you better bury my heart in Africa. Oh, he had a vision of and for lost souls. Yes, God's word had taken up residency in his heart. And he had a vision for these lost souls. I think of Proverbs 11.30. It reminds us that the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. Oh, may the Lord's compassion for lost souls become our passion in reaching them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, we need to have a vision of and for lost souls. And quite frankly, as we wrap it up, we need to have a vision of the judgment. We really do. It's like, oh, great. Going to talk about the judgment today? I'm not talking about the white throne judgment. I'm talking about the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 14, in verses number 10 and following, at the end of verse number 10, it says, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse number 11, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. You see, if you're a believer in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the issue will not be whether or not you're a Christian. The judgment seat of Christ is where our Lord and Savior will reveal the final statistics, if you please. He'll reveal the final statistics of our spiritual count. And good news or bad news, there ain't a one of us that will bypass that, 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 that judgment seat. There's not anyone in here that has enough money or enough clout to bypass the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 10, it says, For we must all, all still means all, all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. But I want you, hold your spot there, because I want to read to you. I told you guys, I'm sorry, I told you verse number 9. I want to pick it up in verse number 7 so that people understand what verse number 10 is all about. Because verse number 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, here's the key, verse number 9, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Why? For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Don't be confused. Don't be confused. Our works do not save us, but after we are saved, the love of Christ. If you go on just a few short verses down later, in verse number 14, the Bible tells us that the love of Christ should constrain us. Oh yes, his love should compel us to love him and to serve him with that love that he also talks about in the great commandment, to love him with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, and our strength. Oh, how can we do that? How can we love God? How can we serve him the right way? By remembering what uh, Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Oh, yes, we must be communicating God's word, getting God's word to the nations, if you please. Disobedience is not an option. Oswald Chambers once said, this is amazing, he says, it is easier to serve God without a vision, easier to work for God without a call, because then you are not bothered by what God requires. You see, common sense becomes your God, veneered over with Christian sentiment. But if you 
once truly hear the full commission of Jesus Christ, the awareness of what God wants will become your goal from that point on. And you will no longer be able to work for Him on the basis of common sense. Oh yes, again I say, God help us to see things the way that you see them. May we ever be compelled by your love to do more and more and more and more. And I could keep on going like a broken record while we still have time. Because life is a vapor. It appears for just a little while and then it vanishes away. None of us have a blank check on tomorrow. Help us to remember that one day we will give an account of our actions as Christ followers. Solomon said the conclusion of the whole matter in Ecclesiastes 12. He says the whole conclusion of the matter is for you and I to fear God, to reverence God, and to keep His commandments. Our life song. I like that song. Our life song. Let my life song sing. Our life song, like the Apostle Paul's, if you please, should be uh, to please God. To please God. That's it. To please God, to honor Him, to keep His commandments, to bring Him the glory that He deserves, not the glory that you think you deserve or the glory that I think I deserve because we don't, we don't deserve any glory. He deserves it all. Oh, listen, we ought to be pleasing God by walking in obedience to the heavenly vision that He has placed in every one of His children's hearts. And folks, I know I said that we need a vision of the judgment And I know this message is not specifically about a horrible place called hell. But from God's word, we know that hell is a real place. It's a real place. It's not going away tomorrow. It's not something that you can wish away. It's not something that you can get into your Bible and think, oh, well, it's just a metaphorical hell. It's not a literal hell. It's this type of hell. Well, I got news for you. It's a real hell, and the Bible talks about it over and over and over and over again. But here's the thing. My God is a God of love. He doesn't want people to go to a place called hell because he didn't actually design it for you. He didn't design it for me. He designed it for the devil and his angels. But here's the deal. If you and I go to a place called hell, we'll be the intruders. We're not the invited guests. We'll be the intruders. Listen, our job is to see things from God's vantage point and to be faithful to share His holy word with people. I wrap it up in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Colossus and said, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, and do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why did Paul say that? He says in verse 10, That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Spiritual vision. Spiritual vision is all that will allow you. It's all that will allow me to see the world from God's perspective and to have a greater understanding of His will. His knowledge, as the Apostle Paul put it. Having no vision or revelation from God means that men and women and boys and girls do not, will not, and cannot see the one who is high and lifted up. They cannot see the one who has offered one sacrifice for sin forever. They cannot see the one who now sits at the right hand of God forever. Listen, Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. Oh, which is why you and I need God's vision. See, my way is the wrong way. Your way is the wrong way. 
It's only his way that's the right way. Isn't that what he said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Oh, yes, we need to be intentional. We've got to be intense. You say, you're pretty intense today. I'm going to keep being intense. I'm going to keep being intentional. And I'm going to keep being involved in the work of God. That's what he called me to do. He took me from the Marine Corps and the United States Army. He said, you get in my army now and serve me. And that's what he's called each and every one of us to do. Whether you're a plumber, electrician, businessman, computer guru, it doesn't matter what your career is. As a Christian, you're a Christ follower and you ought to be about his mission. If you don't like that, the problem ain't with me. It's with God. Don't get up there to heaven at the judgment seat of Christ and blame me. That pastor preached too hard. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. And I don't know about you, but that moves my heart. That makes me want to tell people about Jesus. That makes me want to take on more missionaries for support. That makes me want to be a part of more outreach pro, uh, opportunities in our area. That makes me want to go door to door and tell people about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul, he tells King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And so I sum it all up and ask the question, what about you? What about me? What about this church? Are we disobedient to the heavenly vision? I, I pray not. Listen, this ain't a time to be absent from God's house. Over the next couple of weeks, it's going to be real tempting and Satan's going to throw up every roadblock. Chuck, you were talking about it in Bible study class. He'll throw up every roadblock in the way to keep you from being a part of Missions Revival. It's a time to commit to being in God's house. Not to say, well, I'm going to take a break in the next couple of weeks. That's what the devil wants because the devil hates God. The devil hates his mission. God says, there's no vision. The people perish. Oh, yes. We need to get the gospel out while we still have time. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.